0: My name is Brian Martin, and you are listening to episode 12 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. And I'm now joined by my co-host, Lisa Biffin, who's in her mobile studio, aka car, in Sydney in her lunch break. How are you going, Lisa?
1: I'm actually pretty peaceful, to be honest. It's been a bit of a flat-out day. I think I mentioned last week, too, how crazy things were. And this week started off the same, so I'm just enjoying... Five minutes out in my car chatting to yeah. you.
0: <laughs> You're just in your bubble.
1: <laughs> it's quite nice. I think I should do this more often.
0: Yeah, that's good. You could, you know, like practice mindfulness or something like that.
1: Well, I, I could. I probably won't, but I, it would be a good thing to do. <laughs> How are you going anyway? How's your week been?
0: Uh, it's been pretty good. I'm getting very excited now that the marathon is less than the three weeks away for me. Mm, taper um, time. It is taper time, and I'm especially excited about the fact that I don't have to do any more long runs longer than two hours, because uh, as you know, they really are my kryptonite. I, I don't enjoy those really long ones all that much. So, yeah, um,
1: why is that?
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe I've still got work to do, I think, in terms of like in developing my endurance for those really long runs. Um yeah, just find it tough. More than two hours, I just, just find those probably psychologically and physically challenging.
1: Do you know what it is? I think you need a group.
0: I possibly need a group. I, I was actually contemplating that as I was doing my last really long one um, a week or so ago and I thought, uh, yeah, this would definitely be easier if I was doing it with someone else. Um, but, yeah, got to find, find a group or people that are running the right speed for me
1: yeah surely i mean you're in ballarat the home the mecca of running
0: i'm sure there'll be someone who's in my hitting zone somewhere so i'll just have to um do a bit of bit of homework on that
1: yeah any Um, listeners out there that live in the ballarat region (laughs) that run around five and a half minute case hit that's right
0: you have to want to run slow that's the secret
1: (laughs) he needs a slow running friend
0: yeah slow running friend for very very long runs yeah and i don't know about you but um uh, you know how we end I think as episode six we we're talking about the long run specifically in our training and um, I've been finding especially after that last one that I did which was two hours 50 and about 30 Ks that it's taking me a while to recover from that um, could feel that one through the week um, mm. it's hanging around in the legs a bit so yeah those really long ones they they do hang around
1: yeah well. I actually have just come off my longest my longest ever run in time not in distance. Um I'm actually feeling quite good today but I suspect that tomorrow uh, I'll probably start to feel those effects.
0: Yeah, that was. I actually found weirdly that I didn't really. It didn't really hit me actually until the Wednesday. So mm-hmm. I was sort of like, did it on Sunday. Monday was a rest. Tuesday I felt fine, um, and then Wednesday I really started to feel it. And I think on Tuesday I actually just didn't run far enough for the um, fatigue to kind of rear its head, but um, it did kind of pop up on the Wednesday run.
1: So what? Uh, what did you do last week? You kick us off.
0: Um, well, I might actually. just – There's one other thing I was going to mention because remember in. Episode five, <laughs> all the way back then, um, we were talking about the marathon pace um, calculators and predictors. Mm-hmm, yep. And in that um, great article by the Fetch Everyone guy, whose name escapes me now, he um, that was on the Guardian website that we linked up, they were talking about that rule about the five long runs adding up to 100 miles.
1: Oh, yeah, yep.
0: Um, so I just added mine up and uh, I'm a little bit short. <laughs> I, I ended up with 135 kilometres or about 84 miles for my five longest runs. So I had sort of 30Ks, 31Ks, 27, 25 and I think 22. So it was, yeah, a couple of those shorter ones of... Uh, let me down, so there's something to work on for next year. Anyway, trying to get trying to get 100 miles out.
1: Do you think it's going to affect your race this time?
0: Not really. Um, perhaps if I had a, a harder goal, maybe it would. But I, I think I think I feel like I've done enough and done enough consistently that I'll be able to um, uh, still achieve my well, getting the getting the ballpark at least of my 320 goal, weather permitting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but that, always have that caveat because you never know what might happen on the day but yeah i think i don't feel like i'm underdone anyway to be able to sort of run that kind of pace it's
1: exciting i'm i'm actually really looking forward to how you're going to go and no pressure but i feel like if you have a good one it's going to give me so much confidence so run a good one just
0: (laughs) i feel the pressure already (laughs) your performance is relying on mine oh no
1: Uh, exactly i'm already giving myself an out so run well
0: (laughs) excellent well i'll do my best um so anyway so my week um was began on a tuesday as usual 43 minutes eight kilometers about five miles 127 average heart rate 532 kilometer pace 854 miling felt pretty good um and yeah, as mentioned, that the long run that I'd done the Sunday before hadn't really hit me at that point. Um, so yeah, I went into Wednesday feeling pretty confident, actually, that that medium long run would be good. And look, it wasn't too bad, but I found, I don't know, maybe about 40, 40 minutes in, I really did start to feel heavy legs, um, hip flexors, quads, glutes. The usual kind of suspects um, were a bit tired um, from the uh, the long run um and nevertheless did manage to get through it did my 90 minutes i think i did a bit over 16 and kilometers um touch more than 10 miles uh 129 heart rate average for the whole thing 531 kilometer pace and 852 miling thereabouts and I must admit, I got to the end of that and I kind of, I, I did actually speed up a little bit towards the end of that run and was just trying to stretch out a little bit because I felt a bit jammed up from that that longer run on the weekend. I did my four strides afterwards and it was a bit of a trial, but it was one of those cases where I thought, it's when you actually least feel like doing them that you probably need the most. So I just kind of rolled through those four strides just to kind of stretch my body back out and uh, get it into a range of motion that was... Um, Kind of for running a lot, slightly faster than than five thirty pace. Um. Anyway,
1: did it work? Did you feel good when you finished?
0: I did. Yeah, I did feel pretty good after that. Um. So yeah, the the four strides did me good, even though I didn't really want to do them. As once I got into them, um, they felt pretty great. So it was was definitely worthwhile doing. And so that brought me to Thursday, and I was a. Approaching that, it wasn't anything special on Thursday, but I approached that fairly cautiously. Ran about 49 minutes, a bit under nine and a half k's, a bit less than six miles at 130 heart rate average. And I actually was running a bit quicker on average that day, which was a good sign I was starting to recover. Um, 5.19 kilometre pace or 8.33 miling, and I had a look at that run afterwards and I did some sums and took my first 2K, which my first K especially is always that that Kenyan kilometre, as we call it, is always above six-minute Ks usually. Mm. Um, and I think the second one on that run was like 5.45 or something. And I, I took those off and just averaged the rest out, and that gave me like seven kilometres at about 509 kilometre pace. So I really kind of got moving afterwards, which is about 8.17 miling, which, as it happens, was my average pace for the 2017 Melbourne Marathon. So I took that as a good sign that I can now go out and do an easy run, um, at least for shorter distances, um, at a pace that I actually raced the marathon at on average um, last year. So that was a good little confidence building stat.
1: So you're not feeling cooked because last time last year you were in you know, desperation recovery mode pre-marathon.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I'm definitely not feeling cooked and I you can good. sort of, you can tell from my heart rates that I've been reporting that those easy runs, I'm, I'm getting good pace and, you know, barely averaging 130 beats a minute. Um, when I was in that cooked phase last year, I was going out and running between 5.30 and 5.40 pace and my heart rate was like up over 138 um, because I was cooked, like my aerobic speed, um, it sort of completely deserted me at that stage, which was why I just spent the last couple of weeks just kind of jogging around and having lots of rest days. So, but yeah, this time things are looking much, much better, which is good. Um, Which brings me to Friday um, and I actually did a math test and the math test, for those that don't recall or haven't heard of it before, is a maximum aerobic function test. It was devised by Dr. Phil Maffetone. Um And the idea with that is it's a, it's a sub-maximal test where you run five consecutive miles or five consecutive kilometres um, at your uh, predicted maximum aerobic heart rate, which for me at my tender age of 43 is 137 beats a minute. So... Um, I actually modified this one slightly. The last one I did, I just did five kilometres. Um, this one I modified it slightly. So I wanted to actually get a split right on one mile because Dr. Phil's actually got this other um, article which we spoke about back in... Oh, when was it? When we were talking marathon prediction, I think it was episode four or five. Um, he's got this methodology of you take the first mile that you ran in your math test and you subtract subtract 15 seconds per mile of what that mile pace was and that's your predicted marathon pace. So I was pretty keen to kind of get a whole mile out so I could use his um, marathon pace prediction methodology as accurately as possible. Um, so actually I was at the track to do this as I was last time, but this time I actually went and sort of had a look at the track and found the mile start line. <laughs> so I think it's actually the first time in my life I've actually started something at the mile start line, which is about nine metres back from the, um, the start finish point on the track. Have you
1: ever raced a mile on the track?
0: I haven't, no. Oh, yeah. so I've
1: done one. There's... And it Have was you? so, it was weird. Like I love 1500 metre running. And I've run a lot of them, and I've it, raced one mile, and I, I ran terribly, actually. Um, and I, I don't know; it was just it just really threw me.
0: It's an, it's an extra 109 meters. Yeah, I
1: don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think I was running particularly well at the time, anyway. But yeah, yeah. I just uh, it's something I'd like to have a good crack at, though.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, there was one time where I was thinking, "Gee, imagine if I got myself in amazing shape, I might be able to." Get somewhere close to running five minutes for the mile, but um, obviously nowhere near that at the moment. Um, but that would be a good kind of good kind of goal to have. Uh, probably have to be running. Uh, what, 4.30-something for 1,500 metres to do that, I reckon. Yeah,
1: I can't remember what time I ran. Yeah. I think maybe 5.09. I certainly didn't get uh, – it certainly wasn't five minutes.
0: Well, there's a challenge for us over the summer, so you can run the fastest mile.
1: Yeah, exactly. Actually, because I'm reading Peter Snell's second book at the moment and he talks quite a lot about his mile races that he's doing. Um, And, geez, they ran a lot of those in the day, didn't they?
0: They did, yeah. They just backed them up. Mm. Um. Yeah. Um,
1: anyway, I digress. So back to your yes, map test. <laughs>
0: back to my map test. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So my first mile split was actually eight oh two. Um, and from thereafter, I just took a couple of manual kilometer splits, so I could sort of roughly compare what I did last time. Um, so, I took manual splits but also had the automated GPS going in the background because the last time I did it, I actually just did it with the GPS ticking off. So, um, for the sake of comparison, I've kind of got some manual splits and then some also some auto splits. But, yeah, an 802 mile uh, meant that um, my predicted marathon miling pace would be 743 miling or 450 kilometres, which gives you about 3 hours 24 for the marathon. So puts me in the ballpark of the 320 goal. Um, And I think that the thing I found interesting, and it kind of does my head in a little bit because I have adjusted my auto split to go off um, for a kilometre and 20 metres because it's inaccurate. Um, So in the auto splits, I actually ran 457, 455, 501 and 502 kilometre during the test. And if I converted the fastest of those kilometres, the 455 one, that would actually give me 754 uh, miling, um, which would actually give me a goal marathon pace of 739 miling, which is exactly three hours 20. Um, So the truth may be somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, for me, I did that and I thought, there's some good things to take out of this. I'm very close to my goal pace based on this method, which I think we both agree is a fairly conservative one.
1: Yeah, I'd say that it's the most conservative one out of all of them, but it's going to give you a lot of confidence.
0: It does, yeah, and I I really like the way that my subsequent kilometres, the pace of them were stacked very close together, so I didn't actually slow down much um, at 137 heart rate um so yeah those auto ones 457 455 501 502 not slowing down much and the manual ones i had the 802 mile which translates to a 459 kilometer roughly and i had a 459 manual split and then a 502 manual split so it was it was all kind of looking good and last time i did it i actually didn't do it very well i didn't do it perfectly this time either but i did it better last time i did it I ran the first kilometre in 457, but my heart rate was 139 because I went out too hard, and the rest of my heart rates were all 138, and I did 514, 505, 509, 512. So um, it's nice to see, like, the full range of the kilometres being faster and not falling away as much in terms of pace as the test went on. So... Yeah, some good signs there for me, I think.
1: Mm, So you're not overcooked, you're in the ballpark and you've got two weeks to go.
0: Yeah, more than two weeks to go, um, which is, yeah, which is great. Um, And while I was at the track, um, actually I might just talk quickly about the the test because I didn't quite get it right again. I reckon to get this spot on... Uh, what I did last time was I ran to the track, warmed up, and then I was just kind of moseying and around and just kind of started the test. And that really kind of threw me out in terms of pace. So what I thought I'd do this time is jog to the track, run, jog around 800 metres, get my heart rate into the aerobic zone. So I think I was like 130-something beats a minute as I started the test this time. I think next time what I'll do is actually get my heart rate right up to either 136 or 137 Um, and then start the test because I think that will probably give the most accurate results because I think even in this one I found that probably if you're looking at the auto splits I still had like a faster second um, kilometre which Mm -hmm. is a bit of an indicator that you haven't probably warmed right up um, to the maximum.
1: exactly the problem that I've had when I've done that test and um, checking just a little bit of my heart rate data recently that i've been sending through to you my heart rate does some weird things in the first couple of k's where i spike out of control and then drop dramatically um and so when i have done that math test as well the the first um split is actually often higher than the second
0: yeah that's right so yeah you'd need be need to looking at the um the subsequent ones more so um yeah, so that was all pretty good. And I was at the track, so I had in my program to do a three kilometer time trial. Oh, um,
1: uh, yeah.
0: So I did that afterwards, which I don't know whether that was actually a great idea because I'd already spent <laughs> nearly 5Ks running around in circles. Uh, dear. And yeah, I, I just, I pretty much just rolled straight. I walked a lap and then just rolled straight into it. Um, and my first K ended up being 407. I just could not get my body out of the kind of slow. Like sort of five kilometer pace average that I was doing it was really hard to kind of get going. The second k was three fifty three three fifty five for the third and and they're there' they're the kind of yeah it was I actually did my head in running around the track because I have adjusted my GPS so that it would be more accurate, but I still find when I'm running around the track that the GPS is quite a bit out um toward compared to what I would do in terms of a manual split so um even though I had those splits on the GPS, I still went through 3K in a, just a touch over 12 minutes. So I'm not exact, exactly sure what that means. Maybe I'm running too wide on the track um, and therefore the GPS GPS is finishing before, or maybe I need to adjust it a little bit more on that kind of extra 20 metres that I measure for my um, kilometre splits.
1: Mm, you're becoming a slave to your GPS, is what <laughs> I'm hearing.
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit, but um, actually a good point. When we We might talk about this next week, but in terms of race strategy, because that's something I have been thinking about in terms of um, in terms of the race is um, yeah not being a slave to the GPS pace in particular because it tends to jump around quite a lot.
1: Mm. Look, I think though, I mean that session uh, odd that you did it straight after your math test, but I mm. mean how hey, you were there. So I
0: was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was an efficiency thing
1: exactly. But uh, look, still twelve minutes for three kilometres when you've done zero speed work apart from you know a few strides that's pretty good
0: oh you're forgetting about my vo2 max fartlek oh fartlek work. friday yeah, sorry yeah. i forgot about you
1: your, your two fartlek fridays that you won't let go of
0: <laughs> uh, well there's been a few more than uh, when we'll go back and have a look at this afterwards but i reckon i would have done about a dozen of those by now um so yeah i have done a little bit of that work um uh and yeah maybe that's a conversation for another day but uh, definitely that stuff has been been quite helpful i think
1: Mm. and look i think not that we want to start talking about post-marathon because neither of us have even done the marathon yet but with a little bit of sharpening a little less long slow jogging you might actually find yourself in pretty good shape
0: yeah that's kind of what i'm hoping um yeah, it's all contingent upon getting through the marathon without picking up an injury, um, which can happen. So, yeah, we I think both of us won't be counting our chickens until we um, get back up and running after these marathons and kind of see what the goals um, and how fast we're going to be running looks like
1: yeah. after that. Yeah, exactly. Might not be bothered.
0: Might not <laughs> <probably> run again. <laughs> Never run again. Give it up. Retire. Yeah. Well, you might be able to retire. If you break three hours, you could probably retire.
1: Yeah, uh, that's it. I, I might. <laughs> we'll see how enjoyable the experience is.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, so the rest of my week, um, Saturday I just did a 41-minute jog, um, 123 heart rate average, so really easy, 7.5Ks, seven, seven a, a little bit less than 5 miles, which brought me to Sunday, which was – um, a two-hour long run, so a little bit easier than um, the ones that have been doing in the last month where we've been sort of getting out to two and a half hours or a little bit beyond. Um, this one actually did an hour and 40 minutes at about 533-kilometre pace, 855-miling, 131 heart rate average, and then did 10 minutes at marathon pace, which was 445-kilometre pace or 738-miling. and. I'm pretty pleased with the heart rate average actually for that 10-minute segment because I started it. you know, I've done an hour and 40 running, then dropped my pace quite a bit to 445 and the heart rate average for that segment was 147, which is well and truly in the ballpark for the kind of heart rate that I would expect to be able to sustain mm. through the marathon. So, yeah, that was pretty good. And then just a 10-minute jog home, which gave me um, 78Ks for the week or about 48 miles okay so yeah that was the last proper training week before tapering
1: nice you're moving along well and now you're into the taper how good does that feel for you
0: oh it's it's good it's nice to know that the the hard work is over Mm. (laughs) um so now it's just um about uh yeah not making any crazy mistakes before race day um that's really all i have to do
1: yeah you're moving along very well how about you? Well, uh, unlike you, I'm just getting into the hard work. <laughs> so whilst you're just soaking in your taper glory, I'm building for those long, long runs. <laughs> um,
0: You've smashed out a couple already as well.
1: Yeah, look, and actually did a couple of tweaks to the program as well. And I actually really like these tweaks. And then in saying that, didn't actually get to implement them this week because of my hectic lifestyle. But the plan of the tweaks um, is to actually remove that third session a week, which was the tempo sessions that you weren't too keen on, but I felt like it was something that I personally needed for some confidence, um, yeah. for this marathon specific training. Um, but it was actually, uh, my coach that pulled the pin on them. I think just me turning up every week and saying how tired I was.
0: <laughs> you're, you're under your cloud of
1: fatigue a bit too long. It was, uh, enough for him to say, look, this is you know a bit too much. So, um, We've actually changed the long run to the Saturday, and mm-hmm. then Sunday is either a swim um, or just a really easy, you know, eight to 10K. So I was so excited about um, that because these long runs. Remember, in at the start of my program, we spoke about how I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get through them on land just with my previous hip and knee troubles so we spoke about you know possibly doing the walking or some pool running Um, but with this change I think in fact I now know that I can get through the full um, time on legs which is probably more of a confidence boost than trying to get out a tempo run yeah so um so this week uh i'll just run through it with some- sorry just to f- yeah.
0: round out that discussion it means you're doing one less session as well so
1: mm.
0: that to me like i like moving it to saturday but i reckon the key there is you've got you've removed some intensity from your program and you've now got the scope to do an extra easy run
1: yeah yep yeah, exactly so we'll see how i, I pull up after it it, it the plan didn't actually end up working out like that at all <laughs> this week. So uh, Tuesday I had um, a fartlek session with some hill fartleks. I actually felt amazing doing this. I sort of cruised out and thought I'd run with the, the pack of girls and sort of found myself actually pulling away and running on my own quite effortlessly. So that's a really nice sign. And then I on wednesday 90 minutes um i was actually really drained on the wednesday and it was again mainly because of work uh, i got out 17k's um again ticked a box i'm actually finding 90 minutes is now just a really easy time for me to run um i used to think my god how am i going to run 90 minutes and now the time goes fast so uh, I think I'm think I'm becoming a marathoner. <laughs> uh, I think
0: so. I, I like the 90 minute run too. Now it's just become fairly routine. Yeah. I really enjoy that distance.
1: I've been really enjoying that too. So, um, and then Thursday, crazy day at work, and then my eldest daughter is going to primary school next year. So I had to go to a school orientation. So life got in the way there. I just was unable to fit anything in. So I had to start to change my week around and. Did my session then on the Friday, and my session was five by one k's. My favourite session. We mentioned that last week. Yeah, uh, I was supposed to do that on the track. The track, it's oh, it's impossible to get onto the track here um, in the eastern suburbs. It's only open specific hours, Monday to Friday, like three to. p.m. or something ridiculous so anyway i just did it around the park across from my house and i was supposed to do them in 350 to 355 pace with the one minute um just standing recovery and ended up actually running 344 to 348 pace um no idea where that came from, felt amazing, you know, it was on grass on my own. So all I could suggest was that I'm actually getting quite fit.
0: Yes, sounds like it. Uh,
1: so I I was wrapped, um, wasn't able to do a cool down again, had to get then run my little person to gymnastics. <laughs> it's I'm always on the go. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Saturday, so had organised. So just,
0: sorry, yep. before, you, before you move on from your 1K reps, like um- – How do you find the one-minute standing recovery versus like an active jogging kind of recovery? Because I did that sort of session almost the same last week but it was like five by four minutes but I did like a three-minute jog in between and, you know, a one-minute standing recovery. How do you find that compared to jogging?
1: So I hate a long recovery and I actually perform worse off a long recovery. So for me... I am a bit of a metronome, so if, you know if I'm told to run ninety six second laps, I can run ninety six second laps, but I just get into a bit of a rhythm. But as soon as I'm given a long recovery, it just sort of throws my pace. I get really cold as well. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the biggest things. so it's actually something that um my coach doesn't give me. He knows that like some of the some of the group might have, so like five by 1K and then they'll get a four-minute break and yep. do another two, um, whereas I'll do the five, maybe a minute and a half rest and then do the next two because I, yep. I just get so cold um, that I I really struggle with it. Yep. So, And even if I do do the jogging as well, I don't know what happens. It just all falls apart. So um, <laughs> I respond to little rest quite well. Sounds good. Yeah, so we're very different in that uh, regard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it.
1: Oh, dear. Um, Anyway, so on the Saturday was supposed to be a a two-and-a-half-hour run. Uh, My husband and I were going to do it together and organized a babysitter Babysitter was to come at 8 a.m., quarter past seven. Babysitter wasn't able to make it. <laughs> so our two and a half hour run went out the window. And then we played tag team. I had to swap around the Saturday and the Sunday because Babysitter could come Sunday. So we did an easy 8K on the Saturday and then. To head out to the two and a half hour on the Sunday. What I will say is I actually think the cancelling babysitter was a blessing in disguise because I was a bit tired Saturday morning, I think, from that session on the Friday because I had to swap it. And that eight kilometres, so 40 minutes it was, was amazing. I just, I couldn't believe it. Like not that long ago, pre-marathon training, I would have been thinking, oh gosh, you know, I've got to do eight Ks. Whereas now I was like, oh not even worth me walking outside the house for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice and easy. I mean, that must be one of the few easy runs that you've actually done as well. I I think that might be one of the reasons why you enjoyed it so much. I think
1: it is because I don't run on a Monday or a Friday where often, and I think you do recovery really easy runs on those days and I don't do anything. It was so good. And my husband and I both commented like how refreshed we were for the rest Mm. of the day. We had so much energy. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was fantastic. So then went into the Sunday, two and a half hours. Um, husband decided to take us on this adventure all through the eastern suburbs of sydney and it's actually quite hilly around here so um i was cursing him we hit some big hills at around i think 22 23 k's (laughs) and i got a bit grumpy um but we ended up traveling we got through 30 k's our average was 459 pace felt a million dollars we actually said as we were running along towards the end we both said we could just go and run the final 12 k's now like we actually feel that good um so that has given me so much confidence i know my goal pace is a lot quicker than 459 um but i'm like i'm feeling really confident
0: yeah well look that's that's really good because you've run 30 k's in two and a half hours effectively Mm. um and me on the flip side, I'm what am I covering in that time? About twenty two. <laughs> oh no, no, slightly more than that. Um, probably getting about twenty seven done in that time. So uh, yeah, the hare and the tortoise. But yeah. but that's good because it's only you know your goal pace is only what forty four seconds less than that yeah. so yeah. it's kind of in the ballpark and if you're doing that fairly comfortably I think that's a good sign.
1: Yeah no it's all coming along really well now so I actually had sort of you in the back of my mind though going oh I hope, I hope I'm not like cooking myself now you know I'm still sort of six weeks away <laughs> um, but no look it's, it's feeling really comfortable and I can say that um, you know because I have run a lot quicker I've obviously not done a marathon but you know, times that I have run in the past indicate that, you know, four fifty nine jogging pace isn't like it, it's not unachievable. Mm-hmm. So to be there back here again, um, yeah, I'm just feeling really good. And I will actually just quickly talk on shoes as well. Yep, uh, because I bought a new pair of shoes during the week. I was convinced from Brian's recommendation about the Adidas. Uh, Adi Zero Adios shoes. That's a mouthful. That is a that.
0: mouthful, yeah. I just call them the Adios. It's wow. quicker.
1: Don't say that too quickly. Um, and they were amazing. Oh, my gosh. They, just, they fit my shoes so well. They're light. They're, you know, no blisters from them. So um, straight out
0: of the box. Straight
1: yeah. out of the box, two-and-a-half-hour run, no issues at all. So they're probably my front runner at the moment for the marathon shoe. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm yeah, I've yeah. They just they just fit so well, so um, pretty happy with that recommendation.
3: Mm. Excellent. Mm. So
1: anyway, I ended up running eighty one k's last week. I've now hit that nice sort of ticking along at eighty k's, um, and I'm finally feeling like maybe some adaptation is coming, and the eighty k's I'm starting to absorb it, but it's taken a while.
0: Yeah. And you're saying during the week that you've now got a little bit of a break before you do another really long run?
1: To... Uh, no <laughs> actually right? i'm no. um I've got another long run um in the horizon, and then I'm gonna dip down um, oh, okay and then back up and then start the taper that sort of three weeks out,
0: yeah. Uh, sorry, I thought you said maybe next week you were doing a two-hour run, but you, uh, no, you're still up at two and a half.
1: Uh, yes, so <laughs> still up, had had um, had some conversations and it got changed.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
1: So, uh, yeah, but anyway, things things are going along quite well.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Sounds good. And so now you've got uh, a handful of shoes that you're playing around with. Um, so you've got your Adios, and I think, I think they're on a 10 mil offset. From memory um, Do you know I didn't
1: yeah. read anything about them You just said how yeah. great they were So I believed yeah. you <laughs> just And I bought them
0: <laughs> And I think your um, Your Bostons are probably on a similar They're either on 10 or 11 Yeah And you've also got your on shoes, which yep. gave you the horrible blisters. And I yeah. think they're on six, are they, or seven?
1: I think they're seven. Um, yeah. They're still in contention. I'm yeah. need to. i actually going to put them on this week to see how the blister goes. Uh, I think if I can break them in a little bit. Like, they actually feel really nice landing and underfoot. I, I quite like how that feels. I just wasn't quite happy with the blister.
0: Yeah, of course. And then you've got your other um, ASICS races, which are, who knows what, I don't know what offset they're on. Are they They're probably in that. Ten ballpark, maybe as well.
1: Oh, I don't know. They feel super flat. Oh, okay, maybe I'll they're on. They
0: might be on six.
1: Hmm.
0: Mm, interesting. Well, um, I've yeah. Obviously, you remember that picture I posted of all the different shoes I was running in over the course of this marathon campaign. So yeah, same with you. I've been running in some ten mil offset shoes, some sevens, uh, some threes, and also right down to zero. Uh, drop with these ultra escalante um, and I'm getting around to the segue for topic of the week which is, which is actually going to be shoe drop um, and that was actually prompted um, last week we put the call out for listeners to either ask a question or um, make a comment on one of our social media channels um, and one of our listeners is a sports podiatrist based in Sydney called Thomas DeCanto. And he dropped a question on um, the episode that we did about foot strike. Um, and in that one, we talked a bit about um, the importance of getting uh, glute activation prior to contact. So he'd asked a question about that. So we had a bit of a conversation on Facebook, and he's actually agreed to come on to have a bit of a chat about that question Um, and also did a bit of Facebook stalking and noticed that he'd written a good article on his um, podiatry practice website about shoe drop um, and in particular about prescribing different shoe drops to kind of offload different injuries and niggles. So asked him whether he'd be willing to sort of come on and talk about that, and he said said yes, so... um, yeah, so we're going to have an interesting discussion about um, all things uh, shoe drop um, with a with a sports podiatrist. So um, that's going to be pretty interesting, and that's coming up after this. <laughs> And we're now joined by one of our um, Running Technique Tips listeners and a sports podiatrist podiatrist from Sydney uh, by the name of Thomas DeCanto. Hello, Thomas. Welcome to Running Technique Tips.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries at
0: all. And um, thank you for listening along as Lisa and I fumble our way through this um, journey for me to run the Melbourne Marathon and for her to run the, the New York Marathon. Um in only a few weeks' time.
2: Yeah, no, I've been enjoying it. It's been it's been uh been fun to sort of follow from the first um I haven't actually listened to every episode yet, but I listened to the first one and some of the ones that sort of sort of jumped to the ones that sort of really interested me with some of the topics you guys talk about um within your uh podcast. But um yeah, I'm really enjoying listening um to the topic as well as the the lead up to to each of your events and the way you're both sort of tackling it.
0: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I I think one of the topics that did catch your eye was when we were talking about um foot strike, which is perhaps not not a surprise since um since you are a, are a podiatrist.
2: It did it caught my eye. Yeah.
0: Very good. Um now I when we were sort of chatting um before we organized a chance to get together, I I sent you um a picture of Lisa's freaky feet. Um so what I was wondering in your professional dietrist opinion yeah. is what the hell? <laughs> some some pretty weird stuff going on in those feet. Yeah,
2: I um, yeah, I think as that saying goes, like a picture tells a thousand words, and I think that's pretty uh, accurate with this this picture of Lisa's foot. Um, yeah, a lot going on, a lot going on. Um, I think as I said to you, um, I showed my colleague um, the photo, and the first thing she said was, "Wow, she she must be a four foot striker," um, just because the fact that. We find that foot strikers do load and use the foot a lot and it looks like a foot that's been used a lot <laughs> yes. um yeah so uh, the, you know just the classic stuff you'll see from the runners with the the blackened toenails which is pretty yep. i guess pretty standard this is sort of part and parcel of distance running but then other stuff some other freaky stuff as you might say yeah the um that bone enlargement around the midfoot um i have to ask lisa what's uh, like if she's had x-rays or anything like that because it's quite an interest it's quite a a large bony lump she's
0: got there yeah well she she did um she might not even
2: she might not have pain there
0: but yeah i don't think she does she's actually um i think she spent some time when she was younger trying to be a ballerina so um i reckon there'd be Uh some pretty pretty nasty stuff that happens to your feet Uh as part of that process
2: yeah yeah would not be surprised
0: Mm. okay well we can confirm in your professional opinion that her feet are indeed freaky
2: yeah, yeah, so I've seen a lot of feet, and I'd still, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd put her foot in the in the freaky category for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I might, I might have to send her, Lisa's actually based in Sydney, like you are, so I might have to yeah. send her down to your practice at um, Walker Street Pod- Podiatry to um, to check check that out one day. I reckon.
2: Yeah, I reckon that'd be an interesting little interesting little case. We could have a chat about her feet.
0: You you might be able to write a journal article about it and um, get it published. Yeah. Whatever the whatever the podiatry journal is for freaky feet out there. That's very good. So, um, I haven't had a huge amount to do with podiatry in my background. Um, Had a little bit, um, but um, I wonder if maybe you could just explain a little about a bit about what a sports podiatrist actually does. To help runners, and you know, a little bit about the scope of your practice there. What kind of things do you do you help people with?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, a sports podiatrist is um basically a podiatrist that has um experience uh, in dealing with any musculoskeletal condition of the of the lower limb. So it kind of it it's obviously foot and ankle um, primarily, but it encompasses the whole because it's all connected. Obviously, it encompasses the whole lower lower limb from the hip down. Um, and so obviously running is um is an activity that slows the lower limb primarily um a lot of injuries occur a lot of injuries occur around the foot and ankle, so something like twenty five percent of um of uh running injuries occur around the foot and ankle so um as the podiatrists um treating injuries um <clears throat> yeah we'll i'll see. A lot of runners, because a lot of yeah, as I said, a lot of injuries occur around that foot and ankle area, and and even lower legs. So obviously a lot of shin, a lot of shin pain as well. Um, so yeah, and and I guess the other the other um, aspect is running. Generally, the injuries are overuse in nature, um, and a podiatrist generally is quite good at uh, treating overuse injuries because um, we're looking at things things like uh, biomechanical assessment movements and, and foot function and things which, so not just, the main reason someone gets injured is, is sort of uh, normally it's load related, so too much too soon or too fast too soon, but then a podiatrist, if it's a recurring or chronic injury, a podiatrist is really well placed, a sports podiatrist is well placed to look for any sort of underlying uh, mechanical or gait, uh, so movement related issues that might be contributing to that.
3: Yep.
0: Yeah, definitely. In my experience of running and all the niggles that I've had over the years, it's definitely those lower leg and foot ones that actually stop you running. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, the you know niggles around your glutes or your thighs or hamstrings and other things, you can often just kind of jog your way through those. But yeah, when you yeah. when you, when your feet or your shins or your calves or something like that starts to go wrong, it's pretty much um, pretty much put your feet up time.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, a lot of those muscular hip hip stuff you can sort of run through, but yeah, the little painful top of the foot issue can can really put you out. Something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: definitely. So, um, what sort of stuff are you seeing at the moment from the particularly the recreational runners that you um, see in your practice in terms of injuries?
2: Um, a lot of, I guess, the two main ones would be plantar fascial problems. So. Plantar fasciitis, I guess, is the term a lot of people would would use or hear, um, and then uh, Achilles, Achilles tendon tendinopathy. So, um, yeah, pain around the insertion to the heel, around the mid portion part of the Achilles. Um, they're probably the two main ones, and then yeah, I'll see sort of um, joint joint pain, so midfoot joints or, or big toe A big toe joint can cop it a fair bit, um, particularly with um, uh, increased mileage or or people. Actually, a lot of of the time I'll I'll see um, uh, people coming in um, after they've started incorporating uh, higher intensity training, so uh, interval training, fartlek training, uh, sessions where they're starting to focus on an event and okay, I've got to work on, um, you know, put some sessions in to work on improving efficiency and, and speed or, you know, that sort of stuff. And that tends to shift stress. Towards the foot and ankle so the faster you run generally the loads shift towards foot and ankle and yeah I'll see yeah, I generally see the runners that, that have sort of started doing maybe a bit more of that sort of stuff the so speed work or interval training and, and that sort of stuff and they might be yeah, they might have picked up a, a flared up Achilles or they've got a chronic plantar fascial know, plantar heel pain um, and they're coming in for that yeah
3: Mm.
0: I guess it sort of, you know, supports my philosophy of trying to do as much slow running as possible and, <laughs> and avoid going <laughs> yeah, too fast. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um being a podiatrist, um, yeah, I guess I'm biased towards being really careful with speed work again because yeah, that just tends to shift that body the uh, stress to that body region lower lower down. Um, but maybe, yeah, you might, if you're talking to a physio, maybe they're not so concerned because they might be getting people coming in with hip pain, knee pain, and that yeah. might be more related to just a whole lot of Ks. And, the, you know, the knee is just, you know, the biggest shock absorber and it's just not enjoying the repetitive pounding.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So those couple of things you mentioned, like the plantar fasciitis or Achilles um, issues and so forth, is, is that primarily people... Um, just loading up and doing that extra speed work you mentioned, or are they kind of making any other sort of mistakes, um, in their running or, you know, choosing, choosing the wrong equipment, that kind of thing, Yeah, issues?
2: Yeah, big, big ones equipment, so big one is shoes. Um, so they're, they're just potentially, or like, yeah, like, like I, I call it a double whammy, so potentially what they're doing is, um, they that okay, I'm going to do some some speed work, some interval sessions. Um, someone's told me I need to wear lightweight shoes for that purpose, um, you know, racing flats, all that sort of stuff. Um, and potentially that even, so they've gone lighter, maybe less cushion, um, less structure to the shoe, and, and, and even sometimes um, lower drop. So yep. the drop just being the, the differential between thickness from, from the heel to the forefoot. And so if they, so they're already increasing the load around the foot and ankle because they're doing speed work and then they've also, then they've thrown in a shoe that maybe doesn't protect the foot and ankle as much. Um, double whammy, they just don't, they've just, they just really <clears throat> increased the load to that body region. So yeah, I think shoes sh- shoes are a big one. Um, just being, you almost gotta go the other way. Like if, I would say when you're doing faster stuff, to start with, be protective around the foot and ankle and where usual, just wear your usual runners um, yeah, there might be more cushions. Um, there might, yeah. If you're running, if you're used to running in a high drop, stick with the high drop. Don't, don't, yeah. Be careful with changing shoes and looking at those features, the, the amount of cushioning, the the amount of sort of structure to the shoe and and the drop of the shoe. Yeah. And it's not that one's better than the other. It's just the change is the issue. So it's just being careful to, if you're changing your your, your style of training as well as changing your shoe at the same time, that's a little bit riskier. Yep. Yeah.
0: Actually, quite like that. Yeah. I think, you know, prove that you can do it um, in the equipment that you have or in the shoes that you have been using before you um, jump into going into something lighter or, or
2: yeah. less structured and good. Pushing. Like, I think less, yeah, to be able to do that, <clears throat> I think is good to, sh- to shift the way. I think having, like, light, I'm big on lightness. I think. Um, I think a light shoe is really good because it, it, i i think it i mean i don't I don't know what your opinion is but, um but uh helps with form if you've got weight a, a lot of weight on the end of your lever the end of your leg, I think that adds to a lot of issues like go striding and not not getting that follow through up uh in swing phase um very efficiently so but um yeah, I yeah, agree with so you like just, i'm I'm a fan of
0: yeah. fan of light and flexible and generally trying yeah. to get away with you know, for your particular running, trying to trying to go with a shoe that's as little shoe as you need, I suppose, for your personal yes. needs, which really yep. varies between people. Um, we, maybe we should just talk about it because you wrote a um a really good article about shoe drop on Runner's Tribe, which actually shared on the Running Technique Tips Facebook page um, the yep. other day. Um, And that one in particular did focus in, Around the differences um, in shoe drop, Um, would you like to just walk me through um, the message that you're trying to get across with that article?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Yeah, I think shoe drop it it kind of was a little bit more popular um, a few years back when um, the minimal well the minimal boom was kind of fading, but it was still it was kind of becoming more popular um, as a feature in running shoe brands were talking about drop and, and the drop. Um, being, you know, yeah, again, just the, the, the difference in heel thickness to four foot thickness in the cushioning. And, um, and then it's kind of been... For, I think it's been forgotten, again, forgotten about a little bit in, in more recent time. Uh, but I think it's still really important to to keep in mind um, that feature of the shoe. There's lots of different things that can affect um, injury risk. And I think it's still it's important to, to consider drop. So, um, uh, yeah, basically the message was... was um, not one is better than the other. So, you know, standard drop running shoes have, t- have sort of been over the years a 10, 10 mil drop, so a 10 mil sticker at the heel. Theory being, and there's no research to really that's around saying it's, that 10 mil is better. That's why shoe companies have, have done 10 mil for uh, many, many years. since, like the 80s. Um, but yeah, anyway, for whatever reason, that that's the standard, and um, and uh, people are getting used. To, to, I guess, generally we're using 10 mil drops. So I would say generally, if you're used to running in, in, in a standard drop and, and yeah, no pain, you're, you're, you're improving your running, no in, uh, no niggles, I'd be careful with making big changes in drops. So if you've, then when you're going to buy a new shoe, um, maybe you've heard, uh, maybe you've read something somewhere that, you know, it's more natural to be in a lower drop. So you're, okay, cool, I want to run more naturally. I'll get a zero drop. I just think that's risky um, for the, fact that your body's probably adapted to running, in particularly if you're work shoes, if you're getting around every day, five days a week in, in a work shoe with a one-centimetre, two-centimetre heel, uh, you're somewhat, you're pretty adapted to getting around with, with elevation under the heel. So then if you, all of a sudden uh, you toss your old shoes out, get your new running shoe, and it's a zero drop, um, I think that's a big change in load. And so the load, what I was saying in the article was a change in drop, the, uh, it just shifts load somewhere else. So, yeah. um it may be better for a lower drop. Maybe better for uh, like knee or hip problems, um, because the load shifts to the foot and ankle. Um, and so, as a podiatrist, I'm obviously I, I'm I'm saying I'm, I'm recommending a lot of people to maybe to temporary heel lifts or being careful with their drop, because they've got injuries around the foot and ankle, and maybe they shift to a, a lower drop too too soon or. Something like this, and um, I've got to we've got to have that chat about. It. But I think the drop is just a really nice tool, and yeah, and, and like I just said, I, I, we can artificially play with the drop by playing with heel lifts, three mil, six mil. We can play around with that sort of stuff. Um, I even had a guy yesterday that um, he runs in in ultra shoes, the same shoes mm-hmm. that you, you you like, Brian. And, he um, he's a relatively four foot dominant runner, and he's and he's running hour for a number of years. So he's, and he's been you know pretty happy with them, in, pretty injury free. Um, but just recently picked up, and it was load related, just maybe too much too soon and some intensity on, on top of um, some volume in his training. He's picked up an Achilles um, flare, and he's got some, yep. uh, some uh, events coming up. So we started about the drop because I think increasing the drop might might get him you know calm it down quicker. He loves the ultras, so rather than him going out and buying another shoe with a high drop, we just popped a six mil heel lift in his ultras. So um, that'll be like a, a, a part, we're doing other stuff, but that, that's part of the management um, just to temporarily take a little bit of load off, off the, yep. the, that calf Achilles complex, um, get him through these events or rehab it, get it stronger. And I said to him, more than likely, because you, you run a few years with, with no issues, you, you'll just you'll wean off those. You go back to zero drop. Um, but I just said, you know, the, the moving forward, maybe we'll just do some um, increasing calf capacity stuff. So some, some specific strength training for for the, the calf and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. So getting a bit off topic, but um.
3: The, no, you know, no, the,
2: I liked it. um, yeah, the, the article was just uh, about how different drops affect load throughout the body. So. Basically, lower drop, more load through the foot and ankle. Higher drop, potentially more load um, is then pushed up towards the knee and the hip. So yep. essentially, the, the, that feature of a shoe is a tool that any runner can use to mitigate stress in areas where they're prone to injury. So if you're someone that just has recurring Achilles problems, recurring plantar fascial problems, you're always trying to strengthen things and you've been really careful with your load management, you're still getting like niggles. You know, why not try shifting? You know, get out of those zero drop or, you know, just see see if you like. Um, it still feels comfortable and just see if you have less um, niggles or, or things, are, you know, uh, just improving with, with a higher yeah. drop. And then, yeah, vice versa for someone that just has, you know, chronic knee pain, they're running in, you know, like a 12 mil drop stability shoe, um, and, you know, it may be worth just stripping back that shoe a bit, so getting the front yep. ankle to to take more of the, the, the yes, yeah, more load, and potentially yep. the knee will then take less load.
0: Yeah, I yeah. kind of liked it because, um, as you know, I'm running in a lot of different pairs of shoes and I've got a real mixed bag of um uh drop height. I've, I've got 10 mil drop shoes um, and I've got stuff in the middle and I've got those zero drop ultras that I've been running in. And probably part of the way through, I was actually early on in the podcast, I, I developed a niggle in the foot and that was kind of like lower yeah. leg, calf kind of related. And just straight away, subconsciously, I just went to the... um to running in the Adidas Bostons, which are on a 10 mil drop, um, more so than running in, um, the Innovate 195s, which I was, at that stage I was doing quite a few runs in. And that definitely yep. took a bit of load, um, away from that, that niggle and just allowed it to kind of resolve, um, over the course of probably a couple of weeks. It just sort of disappeared. And then I was able just to, to go back into the lower drop shoes, um, yep. after that. Um, yeah, that's, and,
2: yeah, that's great. That's great in practice. That's exactly how it's. It's a great way of of, of doing it, of using drops to your advantage.
0: Yeah, and I kind of did the. I've been yeah. doing the opposite as as well, which is why your article sort of rang rang so true for me. Um, I've also then started getting a little bit of that kind of ITB niggle going on, um, and probably especially for my easier and slower runs, I was using the ultra for the yeah. ultras for those, um, and I did find that that yeah, again just did take some load away from um, from the knee, um, and yeah. my kind of slower runs actually ended up going a bit quicker wearing those those flatter shoes as well. Not a huge yeah. amount, but um, yeah, it just probably enabled me to get through the ground a little bit little bit more, and I have found that, yeah, sometimes the slower you run, the more that kind of ITB stuff starts to, to kind of flare yeah. up, so... Yeah. yeah not 100 percent sure of the reason for that but um yeah definitely switching the shoes around i think has helped me manage those those couple of little niggles
2: yeah perfect yeah that's great it's nice when, a theory, um, when a theory uh seems to work in practice yeah
0: right? no, it's, it is yeah. nice when stuff stuff actually works in in practice um yeah so what about like because these shoes are all on these drops. I've heard a couple of people talk about. Well, if you've got small feet, then the actual gradient of the shoe is is steeper for you.
3: Yeah, is yeah. there anything in that?
2: Yeah, I, you know that's really interesting you ask. Because I, I I often think about that. I've got size thirteen US feet. Oh wow, you got um, so, huge feet. Yeah, so um, the drop for me is going to be less uh, yes. in, in comparison to someone that has a smaller foot. Yeah, uh, I'm,
0: no for, I'm US no nine I mean, and a yeah, half. I've never really sorry. I'm US nine and a half, so yeah, he's yeah. about four, four or five sizes bigger.
2: Yeah, so the stack height, yeah, so the stack height of the shoe is the same. So the, the actual thickness is the same for any um, for any shoe size. So say say it's thirty millimeters of, of thickness in the heel, and say twenty millimeters of thickness in the forefoot, and that's the same across all sizes. But but then yeah, if if it's a bigger size and that gradient is going to be not as aggressive. Um, So yeah, you're right, like the drop as well will be, and maybe that's why, for me, part of the reason why I like, personally, I like high drop, i I found found over the years that I just have, I'm prone to, probably why I first became a podiatrist, because I'm prone to foot and ankle injuries, Um, and i found over the years that I, I pretty much don't ever wear lower drop shoes anymore because um, all my injuries, the focus have always been focused on foot and ankle, and I just find that yeah, now um, high drop is the way to go for me. Um, and I've got big feet, so maybe maybe that maybe that played a part is because just a standard drop 10 mils for me in a size 13 isn't as much of a drop for maybe you um, yep. in the same technical um, you know drop category. Yep. Yeah. yep.
0: That makes, that makes sense. So yeah, smaller smaller feet, you're dealing with a, a steeper steeper gradient. Yeah, yeah.
2: They're... So I say, yeah, it's interesting. So if you had, yeah, so if, like the implications would be if you got smaller feet, um, and you've got and you're running in a high drop shoe, and you've got knee and hip issue, it is even more likely that maybe you want to be getting down to level, you know lower drops to see if that helps alleviate some of those if it's a chronic thing or recurring thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, yeah, be the issue.
3: yeah,
0: and have you found that um, uh, Sort of changing the stack height for different runners would actually change whether or not they strike with the forefoot or heel At all do you think that makes much of a difference?
2: Yeah, I think it makes a bit of a difference. So if you've got more stack height generally the packing and more cushioning so um Generally, if you've got more cushioning underfoot, you're more happy to land uh, at, in a rear foot strike pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, if you're running barefoot, so if you, you go the other end and you you um got zero um, external cushioning, you're more likely to use your foot for more shock absorption. You can do that by landing more on the forefoot. So um, I would say, yeah, if you're going in bigger stack heights, you're maybe more likely to... Land rear, further on the rear foot um, yeah it's more, you can do that more comfortably, but then interestingly you've got companies like Hocker, which they've got huge stack height, but they're doing low drop. so i think I think that would then mitigate some of that yep. heel striking action that that high stack height would normally have because it's um it's kind of like a like a rear foot rocker where it where it mm. tapers to up the heel and and so they're really interesting, the Hocker, because yeah, they're, and they're light, so they're an interesting one. So yeah. yeah, I don't think they negatively impact the biomechanics as much as one might think, looking at the shoe externally. Yeah. Thinking, well, that's a big shoe, but you know, it's going to it's going to maybe make me overstride, but but because it's got it's also low drop and also it's quite light, yeah. I think people maybe don't overstride so much in that shoe versus maybe an Asics Kayano or something that's you know heavier. Yeah and has the high drop and, you know, that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, it makes
0: sense. And look, uh, running in the ultras is, it's probably like a, I haven't actually run in the hoppers, but the ultras are, you know, a sm- I suppose, a smaller version of that same concept because they're a flat shoe, but they're actually still pretty well cushioned um, yeah. com- comparatively to some of the, you know, the barefoot style shoes, which have no cushioning. And, yeah. and I can sort of comfortably heel strike in the ultras um, because they've got yeah. that cushion. Um yeah, yeah. And it's—I don't think it's a—not that I'm watching myself running at the moment, but I don't think it's a massive heel strike. But I, I think the the difference of having the flat shoe is it does, as you were indicating, load the foot, um, calf, and Achilles, etc., a little bit more. Um, yeah. Which, uh, for the most part, I actually quite quite like that sensation. And it sort of feels like you're running forefoot, but you're probably not really. It's just you you're actually yeah. feeling your calf and foot loading a little bit more as you get through the ground
2: yeah 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 makes sense yeah
0: yeah um should we maybe we should talk about foot strike strike a little bit since we're on that topic um yeah so i i I haven't gone through these extensively and i don't i don't think you've had a chance to either but um i was just kind of browsing through when we're doing this topic a few weeks about some of the material on the harvard um studies that they've been doing um around um foot striking in particular yeah. um, and they've kind of made uh, most of their studies and the findings are sort of geared towards the impact of or sorry the the potential um, injury causing um, of the initial impact point and they're sort of building their philosophy around well if you're four foot striking then there's a not as high a peak of impact forces in initial contact compared to if you're rear foot striking like are you you aware that there's there's actually kind of like a connection between getting injured and what they're actually measuring with that sort of study
2: no not not really like it's it's a pretty weak connection there's no um there's no sorry there's no um no, yeah, there's no, no real big um, backing with it, it's all it's all theory. It's all it's all basically. It it sounds like it should cause injury, but to date, there's no real um, nothing really to say yet. Yeah, if you if you're a runner that does this, you get you're more you high at higher risk of this. Um, there was just one. There's sort of some evidence that um, high loading rates at that initial contact, so that 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 peak, that sort of that that. Um, steep inclination of load, if you're looking at a graph, that steep um, uh, application, so that fast application of load can lead to maybe high risk of tibial stress injuries, um, yeah. but that's literally the, it's pretty much the only um, link that's made, and, and, and the problem is people, um, some people are using that sort of data to suggest um, it's going to cause you know every, every injury under the sun um, mm-hmm. landing with yeah with, with that being being an issue. Um, and actually, uh, there are some, some people that do this. They, like researchers that are doing this a lot. They they find that even um, the, the people that have the highest loading rates are actually midfoot strikers. Yeah. Um, you, you're kind of landing whole foot, uh, whole foot at the same time, and heel striking as long as it's not overstriding to excessively can actually have a um, yeah not as an aggressive loading rate as as a midfoot strike. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. There's no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I guess the thing I found I fascinating I think, when I was looking at that, there was kind of like this footnote at the bottom that says, "Oh, well, there's bigger loads when you're actually in the like the, um, I suppose you call it the stance phase of running when when most of the body weight is or all of the body weight, the maximum yeah. body weight is actually on the body." And they were sort of saying, yep. "There, that that was that was a thing, but wouldn't necessarily lead to injury for some reason." And I'm like, "Well, surely to me, if that's where the maximum load is, that would be the point where." Injury risk yeah. is perhaps higher. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's something dodgy going on at that point.
2: Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure why they're so um, obsessed with uh, <laughs> that. Yeah. With that aspect of the gate, but yeah, it, it's a theory, but there's no, there's definitely no, um, no evidence to back it up, really.
0: Yeah. And have you had it. a look at the, um, uh, the study that I think we actually linked it up on one of the episodes when we were talking foot strike as well, where they... Done high speed photography of the US Olympic trials, 10,000 meter races.
2: Yeah, I loved that. That was great looking at all those images.
0: I just found that fascinating because, you know, I had yeah. to admit when I first started looking into the technique, I was thinking, well, yeah, of course you need to be a four foot striker to run fast, but yet here you are with people running 27, 28 minute 10k, um, and they're heel striking.
3: Yeah.
0: And, you know, I couldn't do one lap at that pace,
3: <laughs> yeah. let
0: alone yeah let alone run ten thousand meters and let alone do like the years of training um both volume and intensity to be able to run at that level as well so for yeah, me that for kind sure. of sort of said, well, by logic, uh, the fact that they're heel striking doesn't really lend it so, well, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get injured from doing it because they're sort of like living breathing proof of it
2: yeah yeah I agree there's just too much uh too much variation in people and what they that what they fine works and yeah and yeah as that shows you can still run really fast with, with a heel strike. Yeah uh, and not, I think I remember uh, watching
0: yeah. Kirani James in the 400 meters at the London Olympics and if you yeah. look at him just with the naked eye, he looks like he's heel striking as well. There's some, there's some really strange things <laughs> I have you said. seen that.
2: Okay. Yeah.
3: Check it out, check it yeah. out. Yeah.
0: So, I explain it
2: like yeah. this, like like I normally say, if you, you can think of the two extremes, like you can think of uh, an, an ultra marathon runner running maybe 100 miles um, versus a sprinter running 100 meters, and and um, you're more than likely going well, to, 100, pretty much 100, you can expect, you know, the sprinter is going to be on their forefoot, um, yeah. and then on the other end of the spectrum, that that ultra endurance athlete is almost, there are there's a small exception that yeah that will be forefoot, but they're going to be heel strikers. So it's very pace, it is pace dependent, but then you get those those outliers, like if that, if that person's running 400 on the hill, that, that's an outlier, but yeah. but yeah, it's, it's all, it's. I guess it is it's, it's very much um, linked to pace as well. And mm-hmm. it's talking about like, you know, the vast majority of us that are uh, recreational runners or, or just, yeah, serious runners, but, but still just not running uh, ridiculously fast, then we're, we're, you know, if those, you know, um, America's best 10K runners are hill striking Then just, you know, it's it's not going to be bad for most of us to be heel striking as well. Yeah, that that was the comforting
0: comforting fact that I took away from that. (laughs) How how bad can it be?
2: One of those one of those pictures. He he, one of the uh, one foot was almost like a 45 degree heel strike, which I thought, wow, that's that's an aggressive heel strike. But he's running that fast, so it's it's that was yeah, impressive variation there
3: yeah it does it, it the a, other yeah. way there was
2: some 45 degree sort of plantar flex feet at contact yep. and then that guy was like so like 90 degree difference from one person to the other it's crazy yeah.
0: there was a couple of lisa feet in there i reckon um
2: <laughs> so does she still because I, I know on one of the podcasts um she was saying she she maybe with your help she moved away she was moving away from trying to from being so foot. is she yeah. still on four foot or does she does she land more I, on a heel now
0: I think she's more. She's still predominantly forefoot, and the thing we were kind of working on was um, just getting her to um, kind of uh, flatten out, flatten out a little bit, because she was actually landing forefoot, but not actually letting the foot load, so her heel wasn't oh, actually touching okay. the ground. Yeah,
2: um, that explains the that explains the picture of a foot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and, wow. and she was getting a lot of kind of lower limb um, niggles and injuries. Um, and so, yeah, when Mark Gorski and I were looking at her running on the treadmill, we're just thinking, yeah, it'd be good if you just kind of just relaxed your foot and lower leg a little bit as you're going through the ground and just let you, let yourself sort of flatten out. Um, yeah. Just to take some load off as well as potentially, you know, get the benefit of loading your foot and lower leg because um, if you're staying up, then, yeah, to me at least you're, you're not actually getting that benefit of that kind of free energy that might be available to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but yeah, she's changed a little bit, but um, I think it's a bit less aggressive than what it it used to be when, yeah, she would have been one of those cases where she's really pointing the toes down um, towards the ground as she's about to make contact. But, yeah, not so much these days, and especially now she's um, doing all these extra Ks for for running the marathon. Yeah, yeah.
2: Good.
0: Now, I've been drilling you with questions, uh, but we actually got you on here because you you asked me a question.
3: Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: And you were kind of interested in um, looking at, when you're actually looking at someone running, uh, looking at that sort of pre-activation of glutes and hamstrings before ground contact from memory. That was what we were talking about, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I found it interesting you were talking about... um, An important feature that you you want to see is that pre-activation um of glutes hammies prior to contact so the body's ready for that impact it's like it's it's getting yeah getting ready and it it does it'll have time to then absorb the load or it's ready to absorb the load and i was just yeah i was just curious to to know um how you'd assess how you'd know if someone was doing that or not yeah yeah
0: um Almost impossible to see with the naked eye. Um, so,
2: yeah. okay, yeah.
0: What we would be doing there is, um, yeah, just taking some videotape um, or some um, rapid still photography. So, yeah. yeah, back back when I was actually doing this kind of coaching, the technology wasn't quite as good, but now pretty much everyone's got this sort of ability on just on their iPhone. Um, so, yeah, you could take um, some pretty high frame rate video. Of someone running on a treadmill and take some kind of burst photography where you get a lot of images in quick succession. Um, yeah. And looking at that from the side on perspective. Um, and what I'd basically be looking for is some evidence of the thigh moving very slightly back towards the, the runner's body um, before they actually strike the ground. Um, so it's pretty subtle, but yeah, if okay. someone's it's activating movement, okay. a little bit, you've you will see just a very small amount of of the thigh tracking back just towards the body. Um, you know the the opposite of that is yeah someone's leg leg and thigh and lower limit is still kind of travelling away from the body <laughs> as they're contacting the ground, which is kind of like the way I used to run um, before I started sort of playing around with technique, and that really does result in a, a pretty pretty heavy dead or was a dead landing so you know we're often talking to people about um, try and have an active landing where you've got all of those muscles um, activated and prepared as you're about to kind of contact the ground but yeah the dead landing none of them are kind of engaged and you just kind of crash into the crash into the running surface and uh, yeah you it's a big impact but it's also unstable because you know you haven't got your glutes on which are, and, and your quads and other things which are sort of key stabilizers um, for your hip. So that would be one thing I'd look for. The other one is, I think you were mentioning um, in some correspondence, just about like the sound and you can just tell a lot from how people sound. If they're making a lot of noise, then there's a good chance that um, yeah, they're, they're probably not at pre-activating uh, before they contact the ground. Um, and probably the final one, if you're looking at someone running front-on, just maybe having a look, look at the position of where the thigh is um, as they're about to contact the ground. So if the, the thigh is still kind of dragged right across the body, that might be a sign that the glutes haven't sort of switched on to kind of start bringing the thigh um, back to a more uh, almost parallel, I suppose, would be one way of describing it, um, just by switching your glutes on. So that would be kind of three things that I'd, I'd potentially have a look at. Yeah. Does that make
2: okay. sense? Interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Ha- uh, I was, yeah, I was also thinking about how that would relate to. Is that the dead landing? Would that also? How relevant is that to somebody say, say, someone that you're saying is an overstrider? Is that like a direct um, link? Is that someone that has that dead landing? Are they also yeah. overstriding?
0: Yeah, I would probably yeah. make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that. I think the overstriding is as is the symptom of the non-activating of um, glutes and hamstrings um, prior to landing. Um, Yeah, the consequence of that is the overstride, basically, Um, at at least from my perspective. That's probably the the other thing I'd say. I I reckon when I started sort of doing this initially, I remember walking into um, uh, Mark Gorski's store when he had that in Burnley, um, and he just kind of looked at me and he goes, you just haven't got an ass, <laughs> and you don't have any hamstrings. So, um, yeah. I think if you actually kind of, if you're that kind of person, then doing some strength work to trying to, trying to develop, um, develop a bit of a back end, <laughs> so to speak, um, is really beneficial because I think once you actually get a bit of strength there, um, that actually helps you kind of learn the, sort of neuromuscular patterns to activate but i think just being stronger there in the first place probably would lead to a scenario where as your legs sort of traveling forward before it hits the ground once it sort of comes up against those stronger muscles it's probably going to sort of start activating a bit more automatically um i don't sort of have any scientific evidence to back that up but it kind of would make sense that yeah if you've got got some strength there to begin and you can hold yourself in a better posture that um, some of those muscles are just going to start to switch on a bit more, um, bit more naturally and maybe not have to think about it so much.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. So it wouldn't be just about, for a lot of people, it, it may not be wise just to try and um, maybe ch- try and change their gait without also as well doing a strength program so the muscles yep. can actually deal with that change in gait. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. When when we're prescribing yeah, to people, it'd be yeah, have a think about these mental cues, and you know, the, practice some of the kind of standard running drills, like your your a your a march and um, a skip in particular is a good one because that sort of practices that activation pattern um, on the way down towards the ground. And yeah, we definitely prescribe people just a really simple strength program. You know, lots of lots of bridging. Um, both kind of static and dynamic stuff. Double leg, single single leg, um, yeah, single leg squats, um, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, any any of that kind of strength training would definitely be prescribed on, alongside um, changing gait and look, you know changing gait is a pretty big deal like it does your head in and you know carries carries a fair bit of risk especially if you try and maintain your load and intensity while you're doing it so you know you probably want to cut your load back to almost like 20 or 30 percent of what you have been doing and and just quit doing any kind of harder running until you're pretty comfortable that you've got your new gait down pat when, when i was doing to it myself it took me i reckon sort of six to 12 weeks probably nearly 12 weeks to actually feel comfortable um, having changed the way that I move before I really got into too much harder stuff.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a while. Like most people, probably would give up after a few weeks. Yes, so definitely. That, yeah, that's a good to point. To, yeah, just and people will need to persist if they want those changes to become to feel yeah more normal. I guess.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, it's it's, it's not for the faint-hearted. So yeah, it's probably. I'm pretty yeah. sure
2: there was one. <clears throat> there was one study there's been some good studies on cadence retraining on step rate retraining and um, I'm pretty sure I, I can never find the the, 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 um, the reference but someone sent me um, the study uh, a, a couple of years ago on apparently they looked at the, the adaptations to an increased cadence and it took about three months for people to yeah. become because obviously as as you any any gate change you make um, from what you have been doing, the initial acute response is is um, it's harder, it feels harder. Yep. You, you probably maybe use a little bit, uh, depending on how significant the change is. If it's significant, you're going to be probably using more energy um, yep. until you become uh, econo- like your body becomes more economical at that. That that um, te- that technique or that that gate change, yep. and I think yeah, that that study that I mentioned, I think it, it did t- it did take 12 weeks, three months to for them to become as economical at that new cadence. Um, yeah, uh, that they'd worked towards. Yeah. So yep. yeah, it, it, whenever I if I'm getting someone to change their cadence, I always say, look, it's going to be hard. <laughs> you may, mm. may not feel like it's going to work, but if you just persist. Um, yeah we can you'd probably you'll you, you'll it'll become easier basically over time yeah I, I agree with
0: that it just it takes a while to get the get for your body to get the get the new movement pattern program wired in um and yeah if you're starting to use like different muscles as well if you're an endurance kind of runner that's it's, it's going to take a while for for the the muscles that you're using more than what you used to to kind of get fit and so yeah you'll definitely be Less economical, probably biomechanically, but also maybe physiologically as well. Um, until you kind of can get fit, moving in that new pattern. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Righto. Well, um, I reckon g- given given that uh, given that question a good going over, and had a good chat about foot strike and uh, shoes and drop. Um, I was going to actually ask you um, a little bit about. Um, uh, the Melbourne Marathon in 2016 because uh, I think at your first attempt, you actually won that race. Is that correct?
2: Yep, yeah, that's my first road. i had done a trail mar- a marathon earlier in the year, but yeah, that was my first um, proper road hit out. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was actually standing on St Kilda Road that day um, uh, supporting my brother and he uh-huh. ran three hours, 28 In the wind on that day, and after the race, he was a little bit disappointed with his time because I I think he thought he was going to be going a bit faster. And yeah, having stood there on St Kilda Road and yeah watched you go past quite a bit earlier, um, and a number of other runners, I was thinking, I'm glad I'm not out there running today. I bet this is like costing him a huge chunks of time. Like, what what do you reckon in terms of the wind that day, in terms of the impact on? What was his
2: goal? What was his goal time? He was. I think he was.
0: He was probably he was trying to run about 320 from memory and like he's trying yeah, so kind of...
2: yeah, I reckon the wind would have made the majority of that would have been the major contributing factor to him not getting that goal eight minutes. Yeah. Like when yeah you're out there for that uh, yes maybe not the whole amount but I'd say yeah majority of him not getting down there would, would be just that wind really. Yeah. It was um it was pretty ridiculous.
0: Yeah. So you ran about was it two hours twenty ish?
2: Two twenty, yeah, two twenty something.
0: Yeah. And what do you reckon, like from at, at the pointy end, like what do you, what do you reckon the wind might have cost you? Just. Um.
2: Yeah. I reckon. Maybe, uh, uh, yeah. It's hard. It's, it's definitely hard to say, isn't it? But but maybe maybe yeah. three or four minutes, maybe. Yeah. And, and um, I think if you're out there, you know, the longer you're out there, the longer you're getting. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, hit with that wind, probably the the, the, the more it's going to blow out your time. So for me maybe yeah, I was thinking maybe three to four minutes something something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was my, my intuition was yeah, I was thinking for slower runners it's probably worse because you're gonna be
2: yeah. running
0: for it for for a lot longer.
2: Yeah. Mm. We had we had um it didn't last very long, but we had pacemakers for the first um like ten K. Yeah. Um and so at least actually that wasn't even the windiest part though, but at least at least like we had like people that they, they were like I guess wind breaks um, yep. for us. Um, so that that was helpful. It was just that last. Uh, well, yeah, it was the, the other. The mid 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 race was pretty horrible. Yeah,
0: um, um, coming then, up St Kilda Road, uh, that was headwind.
2: Well, yeah, that's the other thing. So I think what helped me as well that day was coming back up St Kilda Road. We in, in interjected with the um, intersected with the the half marathon runners. Yeah, and I think at that point, um, a guy I. I'd, some of the with him in Sydney. Um, he, he, I think, he was in third or fourth or something in, in the half, and he, oh, I, I tacked onto him. So he, he was, he was like my windbreak coming up, thanked him profusely at the end of the race because I also broke away from from second, yeah. like from I was running with someone, so I made a break at that point, sat behind him, and when the other guy didn't tack onto me, I knew that, you know, getting this windbreak getting a break and him not having any wind break, there's no, no chance in this wind he's going to yep. catch me back up. So um, I think that helped with my time as well. Because I, I think with those sorts of headwinds, actually having, uh, having someone yeah. in front of you to break the wind makes makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, it would be some comfort to my brother that... Um, uh, yeah, can, he, he, he would
2: have got pretty close to his um, goal, I reckon yeah still day, yeah um, and how did you
0: find running up the uh the hill along the tan there towards the end? I think it's between like thirty six and thirty seven k
2: yeah did you notice it, was, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it just like I, I didn't yeah, I wasn't um, I never bonked or anything like um i yeah. had the energy, but it was just the legs were just starting to get heavy, you know, you just get that just the pounding, so yeah, yeah. It, yeah. that last, yeah, like the last yeah five k particularly um yeah. It was just just trying to get the legs to keep turning over.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you probably wouldn't wouldn't realise this, but they, um, the course intersecting with the half marathon runners um, that was actually probably one of the toughest moments I had last year when I ran the marathon because um, I was oh, really? kind of in, I intersected them uh, and they were running, I reckon, almost a minute per k slower than what yeah. I was. Um oh,
3: and okay.
0: so it was really crowded, so it was kinda of, I just sort of you know, I was almost like, you know, excuse me, excuse me, and almost sort of trying to put my hands out to kind of sneak through little gaps and stuff. So um yeah, you you got lucky that you intersected them when they're actually running either about your pace or a bit faster. And, um, yeah, he was running
2: he was running faster. So yeah. It, yeah, I had to I had to pick up the pace to latch on.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: and yeah, that's yeah.
2: how I made the break.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't realise
2: that it gets that congested. It do, yeah,
0: it does. Um, at the, at the, yeah, sort of in the middle of the field, it's, um, yeah, it's it's probably my only gripe with the Melbourne Marathon, actually, that section where you kind of run into a yeah, huge wall of half marathon runners. And it's a bit dangerous, actually, because yeah. you're kind of coming up behind them pretty quick. And um, no doubt it's stressful for them because they're like, oh, I'm getting in the way of the marathon runners coming through. And for the marathon runners, they're like, yeah. oh, the last thing you want to think about it, 32k or wherever it was is trying to sort of dodge your way around um people so never know maybe they'll fix that this year hopefully
2: yeah oh well you'll have to yeah we'll we'll hear the the recap the race yeah definitely
0: (laughs) definitely (laughs) cool um look i won't take up too much more of your time but before you go um you mentioned that you're running in um, mostly sort of traditional 10 mil shoes like what's in your shoe rotation at the moment tom
2: yeah, uh, I I have a bit of affinity for Nike. Um, yeah. Probably because I worked for them for a year between degrees, so I kind of got a bit uh bit into their stuff. I like um, yeah. I like light and and soft. Uh, I do a lot of running on on the road, so I like the cushioning. So um, I'm running at the moment in the um, Epic React. It's one of their new. Okay. The React is their new midsole material. Um, so they rolled out. Um, a new model with that new material in it, like six, uh, four months ago or something. And I love it. I used to run in um, the lunar lunar Luna models, um, yep. so um, Flyknit Lunar, that sort of stuff, which again was like ten mil drop, uh, light but really well cushioned. Um, yep. And yeah, this, this, this uh, every crack I'm doing most of my running in, I, and I, then I run in like um, Elite Nines, which are um, just like a lighter weight, um, like a I guess a racing or, or a lightweight trainer, um, yep. Nike Streak Six, which is again, it's like a just a a, a racing flat, but yep. um, it's a firmer type of cushioning. So I actually find that I when I wear the Streak Six, I prefer to wear it um, on like grass or something like that. Uh, if yep. I'm doing intervals, I'll do it on grass with the, that shoe. Um, and then racing in the in Vaporfly Four Percent, which is um, yep. you guys were chatting about. I think you mentioned that shoe on your yeah. chat um on that episode um they're yeah they're an interesting one <laughs> yeah they're, I was... they're, they're like they're like a category to their own they're, they're just um they're a race, they're racing flat but not as we traditionally know a racing flat yes. because they're just so cushioned they've got a high stack height right. um high drop um carbon fiber plate um yeah i haven't
3: they're... actually
0: i haven't actually tried on the four percent but i i did order a pair of the the kind of the, the little little brother of that shoe, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's basically the same in kind blind. of profile, yeah, that's the one, it's the same profile, yep. and I just put that out of the box, put it on my feet, and I just found it so alien that I just thought, oh, yeah. I can't run in this, so I just sent it back.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they feel odd, it actually feels more odd walking in it, than once, yep. once you run, and, and I think once you run a bit faster, I would yeah. save that for like, if you're doing like marathon pace sessions or faster yep. almost I, I don't know it, for a lot of people it just feels too alien to to jog in or definitely yep. to walk in um i think it that one as well yeah like yeah that it, it's pretty extreme that one the Zoom Fly. it was and out of the box it's very stiff and it's got yep. that very pronounced four foot rocker um yep. i think it does tend to soften up and feel a bit more natural as you as you wear into it but um Yeah, (laughs) Um, pretty unique. They're good, like yeah, they're they're interesting, like they're specifically made for for running, for trying to run fast on road. So they're road shoes. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't try and run on grass Um, with that stack height. I would wouldn't recommend anyone trying. And and, and the outsole isn't really suitable for grass anyway, or softer surfaces, or trail or anything like that. But yeah, they're they're made specifically to to minimise the yeah the pounding and improve the economy on road. Um, And I yeah personally on the whole load shifting actually it's quite interesting as my coach um uh, I run with run crew it's a, it's, a, it's a group in sydney and my coach sent out an email to like all, all of us runners in his group he's got lots of, lots of runners in his group and with it was a specific uh, uh warning about the vaporfly because um he, he's found the 4% the racing version of it yeah. um because he found um runners seem to get a lot of hamstring issues hamstring and oh. issues with it
3: interesting and
2: um yeah and I, I've been, rec- it's just interesting because just like the drop of a shoe, there's like so many different things about um, a shoe that might shift load. And so I think, it's a, I think it's shifted load, it may shift load away from the foot and ankle, protect the foot and ankle and Achilles because it's just so cushioned. It's, yeah. um, so maybe for a lot of people, um, they'll feel that their forefoot will be protected. So it's probably more, more cushioned. It's, you know, this sort of stuff. foot and foot, plan of fashion might be um, deloaded a bit with this shoe, mm. but it, the stretch has got to go somewhere else. So I think that's what's happened. I think people it's it's sort of shifted. Maybe maybe as well because it's so cushioned that maybe yep. they're overstriding a little bit more in it. Maybe they're getting a little bit more eccentric activity of the hammy um, yep. when they're running and yeah, maybe so that it's that maybe
0: it's that plate like returning more energy. Yeah, or something.
2: yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no wonder shoe or wonder technique. It's it's interesting. It's just everything. Yeah, just uh, shift load. Um, somewhere else so from a foot and ankle perspective I love it like it I think it, yep. it really helps a lot of people with their foot and ankle issues but I don't think it really maybe it wouldn't really make much difference or potentially mm. um, cause issues further up the limb
0: mm. like all new yeah. shoes proceed with caution hey
2: yeah yeah
3: yeah, oh,
0: very good. Well, um yeah. I better let better let you get to pr- back to your practice because I think you've got an appointment coming in shortly, but um yeah, really yep. appreciate the yep. time good. to have a chat and thanks for listening along and asking a couple of questions. Yeah, no, and
2: thanks. I appreciate you getting me on and um keep, I I I yeah, I think it's a great concept you guys, um the um the podcast and the the running technique aspect uh, grabbed me in, but then I've actually quite enjoyed just listening to your, um, just like your, tr- your training stuff, like the, the the methodology you guys are using, and, and the the, yep. uh, the yeah, it's just it's just interesting. It's just good to hear how other people go about things, um, and and just get different perspectives, and then you can incorporate that into your own, um, see what works for you, uh, as as you said, I think in the first podcast like you know don't use what we do as a, as a golden rule but like yep. yeah i think it's a good way just to see what other people do uh see what out of yeah pick what what other people are doing that you think maybe you can incorporate into your own training so i've been enjoying just hearing what yeah how you guys are tackling the the big the marathons which is yep. very very soon
0: very we'll soon see. indeed yeah look it's thanks for that tom i appreciate it and uh okay cool i will uh um, Hopefully, uh, have another chat at some stage soon. It'd be great.
2: Sounds good. All right. All, All the right. best with the last bit of training. Thanks, Tom. All
0: right. Sorry you couldn't, um, make it for the, um, uh, Thomas Decanto Discussion that we had, um, all about all things um, shoe drop um, and your freaky feet.
1: I know, it was a shame that I missed it. My just the work life this week is. A bit mad, but I, I actually felt like I was a part of the interview, and I was <laughs> pleased, and I'm not sure if most people would be pleased about this, but I actually was pleased that I have got a professional to acknowledge I have one of the world's most freakiest slash ugliest pair of feet going around. It wasn't me exaggerating it. Um, they are not nice at all. And it's really just years of being stuffed in ballet shoes, point shoes, high heels, and now running, my poor little tootsies. they running on your,
0: <laughs> running, on your running on your tippy toes.
1: Oh, <laughs> literally, um, and it's very true. I mean, I'm not sure have even got that footage anymore. Be interesting, actually, just for my own personal interest to have a look at how I did used to run. You know, I reckon faster. I still got it. Yeah, oh, we should we should post it up because I looked like I was you know, basically doing a ballet dance whilst trying to run. <laughs> It was just straight onto the top of my toes. Um, And look, it has come down a bit, but uh, yeah, I tell you what, on the pair of of shoes, when I finish with them, there's not a lot of uh, wear and tear on the heel.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: uh, Yeah, no, good chat. Um, And I look, I I do completely agree with Thomas's point around uh, those common injuries especially plantar fasciitis he pretty much nailed um so i've had plantar fasciitis and he nailed the yep. exact reason too much too soon too fast
3: <laughs> yep yep yeah,
0: that's just a rule to lead by i think as runners are just yeah you've really got to be so careful in adding that extra load whether it be volume um, and especially intensity with that speed work that can
1: mm.
0: that, that can very quickly break you
1: mm. and i know as well so when i came back after having baby number two um, and gearing up for this marathon, I had the plantar fasciitis flare up again, and it does this all the time after a long layoff, um, and I really have to be so slow in yeah. increasing the mileage and the speed just because, you know, those old injuries, it's more of a prevention these days. <laughs> um, yeah. trying to prevent it coming back up again because that's always going to be there.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So... Um... The week ahead, what's coming up for you?
1: Oh, well, I think you and I are going to have a bit of a, a debate over one of my sessions this week.
0: <laughs> got, that, so, got that sinking feeling?
1: Uh, I know. So I'm still in the midst of sort of the up and up whilst you're on the other end of the marathon spectrum. Um, so I've got a steady week during the week, but at the tail end of the week on Saturday – And this is going to be a good one to chat about uh, maybe at the end of uh, next week and then at the end of the marathon program. I'm doing a 30K run, but Mm -hmm. it encompasses 25Ks at goal marathon pace. Wow! So it's a monster. Um, And I had originally, like we had tossed this around at the start of my program and this was one that you definitely, you and I didn't see our eye on, which is perfectly okay. Um, and now I'm, now I'm not 100% sure of it only because I wanted to do it in a race environment. So I'd actually picked a race that I thought was going to coincide with this weekend. And unfortunately it hasn't come to fruition. And so I'm now left with doing this, I'm going to do it with my husband, but I might Mm -hmm. as well be on my own because it's, you know, it's just us two, we've picked this flat road, we're running out on the conditions on Saturday. It's going to be 16 and windy, so horrendous. Uh, okay. um, so there's lots of things going against us already, but I wanted it to be in this race environment because I just find, I you know, I race better than I train and yeah. being in that environment, giving me that mental confidence of thinking, oh, wow, 4.15, 4.16, that feels easy. But now that it's me training on my own and I train terribly on my own, (laughs) I think it's going to have the adverse effects. So I've got a couple of, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot um, this week. So one of the options is to make it 5K warm-up, 20 kilometers at marathon pace, 5K Mm cool-down. Or just as I'm going along, if it's all just falling apart and it's just looking like a complete disaster, I'm just going to turn it into a 30K long run. Yeah. So... Mm. It's, so that's it's, me on Saturday.
0: So just walk, just what because, you know, by, by comparison, um, this is actually a bigger session than a lot of elite runners would potentially do. So, yeah, my understanding is usually they'd kind of top out at about 10 miles or 16K for that kind of marathon pace tempo. This is a bit longer. Like what's, what's the purpose or the reasoning behind it?
1: Yeah, a bit of race confidence. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, like the, the sole purpose really was to be in that race environment, um, and for me to confidently say, this is easy. I'm feeling great. I'm in shape. Everything's going in the right direction.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But now it's no longer a race environment. You know, I am running the risk of losing all that confidence and having to too hard and having the complete adverse effects of what I actually had intended to set out to do. So hence why I have that caveat of, look, if it is just feeling all too hard, um, maybe pull the pin, like maybe get through 8Ks or 10Ks and then make the rest just a nice, long, easy jog. So I'm not going to be silly. like I'm not going to be a slave to what the piece of paper says. Uh, because I think I've still got I've got five weeks um, this coming yeah this coming Sunday so you know some really crucial runs still ahead of me before I take off yep. so I don't want to do anything silly when I'm I'm still a long way out but I've come so far Yep.
3: yeah,
0: so, yeah. this is um uh, yeah giving yourself permission to have some get out of jail along the way on that one seems like a good idea because um, mm. yeah even if you did. 10Ks at marathon pace, um, and if you're sort of starting to feel a little bit tired, it might be might be nicer to pull up the pin then rather than wait until you're sort of actually falling apart to pull the pin because then you, your confidence will still be intact, I reckon.
1: Mm, exactly. And one of the other things that I thought, well, if I'm if I'm not feeling great but I'm not feeling terrible, well, maybe drop it back and maybe look to run 420s or 430s for maybe another mm-hmm. 5Ks. Um, so you know, still quicker than jogging. Um, but still you know, not redlining, and yep. I'm going to put the heart rate monitor on just to see how that's going as well, um, and, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it goes, talking about it next week. Um, yes. And I've, <laughs> and I've just got a really easy run on the Sunday, so, yep. yeah, look, it's, uh, it's a big one. Mm, what about as,
0: you? As a, um, Well, actually, before I talk about me, just, I was going to say beware the wind as well.
1: Um, oh, I, having, I know. Actually, yeah, had that,
0: I know. Had, had a chat to Tom about the impact of the wind in that 2016 Melbourne Marathon. And, mm. uh, yeah, he, you know, I was talking, talking about my brother because, you know, he was trying to run about 320 and ended up with 328. And yeah, Tom agreed that, that, you know, pretty much all of that time could have been... Um, evaporated by running into that sort of strong wind so if it is windy that's kind of really knock your performance around if, yeah. if you're running into it
1: well and the course that we've actually chosen we're actually heading down to a place called Cronulla a beautiful um, spot by the beach um, at, sort of at the back there is like a really long stretch of Road, but we're doing an out yeah. and back, so yeah. there is a high probability that we're going to <laughs> get the wind in, in one way or the other. So I think it's about 10k like out and 10k back. So look, maybe we might run 10k's with the wind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say and if you're going to do the marathon the pace section,
0: do do that with the wind. Like, yeah, I that would be that. You'll get the feeling of the pace, and you'll feel really confident because it'll feel easy, um, and then yeah, you won't have to slog back into it.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. But look, I'm, I I am looking forward to it. But I'm also enjoying the process of you know, tossing around the thoughts, even sort of training partners as well, and and giving myself the permission to not be a slave to that program yeah. and, and approaching it quite sensibly. So, um, and it's actually nice that I'm going to have one friend out there.
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that
0: will definitely help.
1: So, uh, anyway, so that's me. So, what are you? You're on taper time, taking it easy, yeah, feed up.
0: Pretty much, um, although with my kind of revised taper, which we spoke about, um, I have left a little bit of volume and a little bit of intensity in the week. Um, so I've got uh, a ninety. Yeah, the only that's not that I'd call it hard, but um, yeah, I've got the usual midweek. 90 minute long run, and I think I've either got a 10 or 20 minute marathon pace segment planned for that. Um, might have, to, depending on what happens during the week, that might have to change because I've got a big assignment um, due um, on the Wednesday, so possibly that might get pushed into Thursday. Um, and the other thing I've got planned for the week um, is.
1: Um, I'm is laughing the because it's... So it never changes how old you are, whether you're still in high school or, you know, 44 year, years old. You always cram at the last minute.
3: Absolutely,
0: yeah. Like it's a cycle of life. Like you, just, you need that little bit of stress to get you moving, and as the deadline looms, the stress increases, and then you start work. You know,
3: it's just a cycle of life.
1: Oh, dear, I love it.
0: Yeah. So, sorry, so, so
1: you're doing you're doing park run time trial. Where are you doing it at? You're going down to Ballarat?
0: The plan is to do it at Ballarat. Um and yeah, it could be a cold start by the look of the weather forecast. Might be down near zero
1: um, degrees
0: mm-hmm. in the morning. So um yeah, not sure about what impact that will have, if any, but um yeah, we'll kind of see how it goes. But
1: Anyway yeah. for the time.
0: Um The idea was to try and run under 20 minutes um, and try
1: and
0: and do that as easily as possible, um, Mm. if if that is possible. Um, Mm. I'm hoping that I'm fit enough that um, that kind of pace should now not be completely out of the question and shouldn't really be a super strenuous, it shouldn't be an all-out effort. I'm actually hoping the first couple of Ks will sort of feel like tempoing and then no doubt it'll get hard in the middle like all 5Ks do, as you know. Um, yes,
1: I do, all too and I can
0: bring it home at the end. Um, but, yeah, we'll kind of see how that goes.
1: Will you be, I'm, I'm not um, wedded to
0: that one either, like you. I've got to get out of jail. <laughs> and on hang, out. On,
1: hang on, hang <laughs> on, hang on. Yours is 5K, mine is 25K. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's oh, true. Dear. that is true.
0: not going to be running that much slower than my 5k either. <laughs> oh, dear.
1: Do you think you'll see yourself on the park run podium if you're a sub 20 at Ballarat? Uh, yes. look, like.
0: Who knows? Actually, the fact that it's going to be cold would probably increase the likelihood of being up near the front of the field, but um, I know Ballarat people are pretty tough, so they. Usually a bit of cold weather won't deter them, so um, I'd say unlikely. There's usually uh, usually a few speedy people there that will uh, uh, yeah, not have any trouble in dispatching me, at least.
1: <laughs> I'll look forward to hearing how that goes.
0: No worries. Well, mm-hmm. um, I reckon that could be a wrap for this week, Lisa. Um,
1: I think it is. Go and prepare myself for this monster session yeah. that's ahead.
0: Psychologically prepare, meditate, do, do <laughs> mindfulness, whatever it is that you need to do. Um, in uh, the meantime, I'll go and put my feet up and enjoy my chat.
1: <laughs> you enjoy that, and I'll speak to you next week once all this is done.
0: <laughs> okay, now You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. You'll hear from us again next week.